0: morning. Thanks for, uh, for coming. If, you, uh, if you're here today, you get a get like a gold star from Jesus. I know it's cold, so uh, there you go. You can stick it in your little book. There is no book, really. But um, anyway, we're glad you're here. I know it's cold. Thank you. We have a heater, so it's really not that bad, but getting from the house to here is uh, it's not comfortable. So I'm glad that you made it. It did change our trajectory a little bit. Like Trev mentioned, we were going to finish up this little Dwell series. Last week, we looked at why we study the Word and why it's important that we get into the Bible and why it's important to uh, engage Christ in His Word on a regular basis. And then we're going to look at uh, today, we we're going to look at Colossians 3 about the importance of studying the Word in community. But on Tuesday, when we we're deciding all this, the weather, who knows, they thought the world was going to end, and so we weren't sure what it was going to be like, so we decided to punt till next week. And uh, today, we're just going to study, I say just, it's the Word of God. We're going to study Psalm 1 and have uh, somewhere in between a devotional and a homily. We're discussing what those things are, exactly how long they are. And uh, you got devotion on this end, which is something really brief. And then a homily is like me talking about something in a sermon, which you're used to. And then a far end, you get a lecture, which we never want to do. So on here, we just want to stick with something brief. And the reason I chose Psalm 1 is because the Bible reading plan tomorrow starts with Psalm 1. And uh, why do we do that? One, because the Psalms are great, and they, we should just be soaking ourselves in the Psalms all the time. Uh, but two, it really sets forth this uh, wonderful um, clarity and contrast between those who follow God and those who don't, and what that looks like in daily life, and why it's important that we follow him, and the heart that we need to have as we do that. So having said that, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Psalm 1, six brief little verses. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do love you, and we thank you for seasons. Thank you for cold. I know that there are many people right now who are, um, have frozen pipes and whose homes are not warm. Um, Lord, help us if we see a need, help us to meet it. Uh, give our hearts compassion for people that you bring in our path. Um, pray for, um, pray for folks who are uh, outdoors right now, and pray you give them shelter, Lord. Uh, may they may they find their way uh, to you, and may they find their way to, to somewhere warm. Um, thank you for your great grace with which you love us; that you've given us this building where we have light and heat, and we can sit here out of the wind and uh, sing songs to you, and open the Word and learn from you. So we come to you with hearts just full of gratitude. Thank you for the word of God that you give us, for the psalms in particular, and for this very first psalm. It's short, and it's wonderful, and it helps us understand more of who you are and how you want us to live. So please teach us as we walk through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 1, uh, we're not giving the author here, and it just starts right off. Uh, Psalms, by the way, is in the Middle of Bible. If you ever know where to find it, if you're new to the Bible, you just stick your thumb in the middle and you're probably going to hit the Psalms. But um, we're in the first chapter of Psalm 1. It's a book of um, it's poetry for us. Most of them are lyrics to songs, worships, the worship songs of Israel. It says, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so are the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay. So what is the psalmist doing here? He sets this great contrast. First word in the book of Psalms is blessed. Blessed. God desires, just a God who loves us and desires to bless us. Blessed is the man, not just man exclusively, of course, the human. Blessed is the person and the, who doesn't do these things. There's three negative things that he's going to lay out here. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. And so you see these words here, walking. And uh, you imagine the, the path of life. you'll see this trail go through psalms and through other passages of the Bible. a way of life, a, a pathway that we go on, not walking, but this is in the council of the wicked. So this idea of a council is a group of I mean, for lack of a better explanation, a, a council is this group of people gathered together, and they're coming up with some ideas. But really, counsel is also uh, words that someone gives you for how to live life. Like you don't know what to do, and so you seek counsel from somebody. Well, the wicked also give counsel. If any of you have ever had a, a friend, or maybe you've been that friend, who's given evil counsel to somebody, it's like, hey, it's Friday night, I don't have anything to do. Uh, what should we do? Hey, let's go um, uh, get drunk and do stupid stuff. Okay, well, that, that was not, that's not good counsel, right? So I mean, you can do that, but uh, not good counsel. That is what the Psalms call the counsel, the counsel of the, the wicked. And he says, blessed is the man who does not walk in that. The idea of wicked, by the way, you'll see this again. If you, as you read through Psalms, you'll see the wicked and the righteous contrasted all through the, all through the book. But it has a base idea of, of pride and, and uh, someone who is very proud and who, really, if you think about uh, Psalm 14.1, uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The idea of the wicked person in the Psalms is a proud, atheistic heart that Uh, hates God's commandments, hates them, okay? So it's not just someone who, like, goes and does dumb things. It is someone who is actively against God's work in the world and God's way of doing life, okay? So if that kind of person gives you counsel and you walk in it, you will not be blessed, okay? You can do all these things that you want to, but if you walk in the way of the wicked... God is under no obligation to bless you. As a matter of fact, he will turn you over to those ways if you want to. So, but blessed is the man who does not do that. And the ability to see what the wicked is, to understand, man, I wonder, is this, is this good counsel or not? You're gonna wanna know the truth. And that's one of the wise things the psalmist is saying here. So, if you don't wanna walk in that, you need to know what it is. Second is this, who stands in the way of sinners. Not stands in the way like sinners are running. You're like, hey, sinners, stop running that way but who is in the, the way or the path of sinners. And so there's this other verb. You have walking in the counsel of the wicked. Wicked tells me to do something. I'm going to go do it. And now you're sort of standing in the way. It's like you're on the path of sinners, and it's almost like you're thinking about it. And the idea of the way of sinners is really just about behavior. How, how does someone living their life? How does a sinner live? Like There's a difference. Or The righteous are supposed to live differently. You can't separate who you are and what you do, really. And so... If you are walking in your heart and in your life and in your mind away from the Lord, you're going to walk in those ways to some degree. And that's what a sinner does. And so it's about the behavior that sinners walk in, how they, the way of their life. So blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. Uh, your Bible may say scoffers. And um, I always love that word. It's a little bit antiquated good old scoffing. But it's a little bit connected with the idea of the wicked the mocker or the scoffer the base um attitude is just absolute arrogance and it is someone who uh it is it is an arrogant person who loves a conflict and who loudly brashly passionately rejects wisdom and correction have you ever met somebody like that i mean a brash someone who you're like hey I don't think that's a good idea. And they don't think, they don't say, you know what, I'll I'll take your concepts into consideration and I'm gonna make my own choice based on what I think is best for me. Some people say that. That's not the mocker. The mocker says, you are a fool to follow God. That's the mocker. And they vehemently reject wisdom and correction. So when they get corrected, they respond with violence might be the right word, verbal passion, they do not like the ways of God. So when it says, sit in the seat of mockers, the the seat would be this idea of the assembly gathered around and everybody's kind of have a seat at the council and you're sitting there and there's this group of people who are mockers or scoffers and they despise the way of God and they like to brashly and passionately discuss how much they dislike the way of God. Now, you may not have ever met anybody like that. If you ha- haven't, great, because they're not pleasant. They're just not fun to be around. It's like, oh my gosh, you just want to just, why are you, shush, you're so mean. That is the, Those are mockers, and they exist. They're around. I mean, they're all over TV and the internet, but uh, I just they're everywhere on social media. I feel like half the social media is a mocker. They're just mean, and they throw words at people and barbs and push against things. Don't be with those people. So these three negative things. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, Don't walk in the way of these people who are proud and hate God's commands. Don't go around in the way of folks who walk uh, contrary to the way that God says to live. And don't join yourself with people who are arrogant and who love conflict and who, who desire greatly to reject wisdom and correction. Don't be like that. But it's a wonderful word of of a contrast. The person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So, what does this person delight in? They delight in the law, they delight in the word, and a broader application of this. They delight in the law or the word of the Lord, God's commands. What does God say to do? How does He say to live? And on His law, He meditates day and night. Now, day and night is hyperbole. I mean, if you actually meditated day and night, you you wouldn't you'd eventually go crazy. I mean, you have to sleep. But Meditating day and night is, is hyperbolic language, meaning all the time, right? And what are they doing? They're meditating on it. And that, that word for meditation is this, really this idea of, of quietly repeating it to yourself. Have you ever had a, a verse, like you read through the, a chapter in the Bible and a verse gets stuck in your head, and you're just kind of maybe just a passage or a, or a phrase from a verse, and you just kind of chew on it all the way along, and it ends up, goes through your mind, goes through your mind, goes through your mind. That's meditating on the Word of God. It's not super complicated, but you read something in the bible and you think maybe today you just think this phrase my i want my delight to be in the law of the lord and that phrase goes through your mind today and you're eating lunch and you're thinking your mind kind of wanders and you're like man I, i'd love to delight in the law of the lord and it sticks with you and you think about it god loves that someone who delights in the law who takes great pleasure in obeying what they read in the bible you read in the bible love your neighbor And you think, man, I want to do that. I want to do that. That's what this person is doing. Well, we get this wonderful simile here. This person is like a tree. But what kind of tree? A tree planted by streams or by channels of water. What does this tree do? It yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Now, whatever he does prospers is back to the person, not necessarily the tree. But this person is like a tree. So you have a tree. This is some kind of a fruit tree. And wherever your tree is, you need water. And even if you see, if you go out to uh, West Texas, you'll see that every low spot's got the trees because that's where the water runs to. And so there's water where there's trees. You go to uh, Israel in the Middle East and where there's water, there's trees. If there's not water, there's not trees. And so a tree needs water. It needs a source of life. And this tree is planted where? By these streams of water. So it's planted right where it can get what it needs. A tree needs water. It needs nutrients, and it needs sunlight. And if it gets those things, what does a tree do? It grows. What does a fruit tree do? It produces fruit. It does what it was created to do. God made fruit trees to make fruit. God made you and I to bear the fruit of righteousness. He did. He made us to live like he wants us to. He made us to live a righteous life. He didn't make us to walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of mockers. So when we're going contrary to who we are, we run into trouble. But he's saying, listen, I've laid out a way for you, and it's right here in my word. So delight in it. Meditate on it. And when you do that, you will be like you're supposed to be. You don't have to have a giant life plan. Now, life plans are great. But if it doesn't include meditating and delighting in the word of God, you're, just, you're not going to get far as far as what God wants you to do. And I want all of us to be, I want to be a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit. Who benefits when a tree bears fruit? Other people. Who benefits from the fruit of righteousness in your life? Well, others will. If you're a husband, your wife will. If you're a wife, your husband will. If you're a grandparent, your grandkids will. If you're an aunt, your your nieces and nephews will. If you're a neighbor, your neighbors will. If you're an employer, you see, it just goes on and on and on. God designed us to bear the fruit of righteousness to all the people in our life. And the verse ends, whatever he does prospers. There's a principle in the Bible that when you read the word of God and walk in his ways, he prospers you. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have difficulty, but he does. Just you think of a person right now who you know who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night on their word. Does that person's life, is it a prosperous life? Doesn't mean they're wealthy necessarily, but is their life prosperous? Are their relationships prosperous? They are. Now, we have this contrast, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. You see the contrast, chaff. So if you have wheat, you have the husk of the wheat and they, uh, they would uh, harvest the wheat and you've got the grain and then the chaff is this little bitty uh, uh, husker on the outside of it and they would take it and they would uh, uh, smash it down or shake it or uh, put it in this, uh, on, uh, on top of a, this big flat spot where they would thresh it. And uh, they, would, they would do that in various ways, but they're trying to do is separate the, the chaff, the, the grain of the chaff, uh, excuse me, the grain of the wheat from the chaff. And they would do it often up on a hilltop. That's one of the funny things about Gideon is he's up there, he's down in a, in a, in a little low spot trying to, uh, um, to thresh this wheat and he can't do it because the wind's not blowing up there. But they would do where the wind blows and the chaff would just, just blows away. You see the contrast with this tree? Rooted, solid, steady, or... You just get blown away. No one remembers you. You bear no fruit. Your life doesn't really matter. It's terrible. But the wind will blow you away if you don't anchor yourself in the word of God, and that is what the wicked do. Not only that, but the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Everyone will stand before our righteous and a holy God, every person, you and me and everybody else, and we'll be held accountable for the life that we lived. Those who... Look at God's ways and mock them and wag their finger and arrogantly rail against God and his ways, they will stand before his judgment. But the righteous does not have to worry about that because in verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, he guards and protects the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I don't know um, what your plans are for the next 45 days. I do hope that it involves diving into the Word. And you can read this one tomorrow. It's kind of like you've read the chapter before you went to class, so you got a heads up. And when you open up your Bible tomorrow to read Psalm 1 and Luke, part of Luke chapter 1, you'll have a bit of a head start. And hopefully when you read it, you'll think, okay, some of this makes a little sense to me. But I do encourage you to jump in and to be a person who delights in the law of the Lord and to meditate. Day and night on it. And if you have struggles doing that, welcome to being a human. That's just, there's a reason that, that Psalm 1 is in here. Psalm 1 isn't giving us instruction because we do all these things really well, it's giving us instruction because we struggle with it and we need to do it well. And so, my encouragement to you is don't let the struggle keep you from doing what you need to do. You can make a choice and you open up the Bible. Just make a choice. I'm not going to go to sleep today until I read these things. And maybe that means you wake up early. Maybe it means you read it during your lunch break. I don't know. You are uh, either a grown-up or you're a person who's old enough to understand what I'm saying. Either way, you have agency and you have a choice. And you can choose to be a person who meditates and delights in the law of the Lord. My encouragement is that you would do that very thing. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you and we thank you for your great grace. And gosh, just the fact that you have chosen to redeem us and have given us your word, to walk in it, I ask that you would give us hearts that delight in your word and that meditate day and night on your word. Lord, make us a church who delights in those very things, who delights to read your commandments in the Bible and who delights to walk in obedience to them. The reality, Lord, is that this meal that we share in communion is, is done out of obedience to your command in the word. You've told us to do it. And whether or not we understand it or whether we like it or whether we think it should be wine or grape juice or these things or crackers, or the reality is that we do it out of obedience. And we do it because we love you. And because we love you, we want to obey your commands. So, Lord, as we, as we look toward this table and the bread and the wine and the breaking of bread and the taking of communion, would you... Do a work in our heart, Lord, as we take those elements into our bodies. Would you transform our minds and our hearts and give us a deep and abiding desire to delight in your word and to meditate day and night on your word? Help us, O Lord, to reject the way of the wicked and instead to walk in the way of the righteous because that is who you've called us to be. So as we are, help us to live our lives. Help us to walk out the identity that you have won for us. And as we come to share this table, Lord, remind us of who we are without you, and remind us of who we are in Christ, and give us grace to confess everything before you, and to take this bread in obedience to you. In your risen name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. As someone points out, and as Brandon made note, one day we will all stand before this holy, righteous, mighty, incredible God, and we will be held accountable for all our actions, which is, is terrifying. But the beauty for the believer is that we no longer stand there as our own advocate, but we stand there having the advocate as Christ Jesus, our Savior, who died to conquer sin and death. And therefore, we put our faith and hope in him, and we are guaranteed life. Eternal life, abundant life that begins today and eternal life that carries us through eternity. That Jesus stands as our advocate. And this table is that expression of his incredible love that our advocate, Jesus Christ, stands in our place because of his victory over sin and death. On that very night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night that all would abandon and run from him, the night that he would be held accountable, put on a sham of a trial, the night that would begin the greatest movement in all of redemptive history, Jesus gave thanks. And after giving thanks, he took a loaf of bread. And he gathered his disciples and he broke it. And he told them, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you, that as long as you take of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Here at the Vine, we take communion by means of intinction, which is a fancy way of saying as you come forward or go to a station in the back, you take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and eat, return to your seat. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to all of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul does tell us not to take this table lightly, that before we engage in this meal and this celebration, we are to examine our hearts. We're to confess our sin. We're to go before the Lord and understand what we are partaking in. This is the Lord's death. This is the picture of his resurrection. And so we invite you to take this meal as you're ready and then remain standing as we close our time in worship this morning. Let's pray together as I invite our elders to come forward. Lord, what a privilege and honor it is to gather in this place. Lord, what a joy it is for us to be able to gather as community, Lord, to engage together with the beauty of the gospel. The Lord, what you have promised us through your word is nothing that we can do on our own. It's a redeemed life in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's the promise of what we could never achieve or return, that you did what was undoable, that you rescued and redeemed your creation through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So Lord, if we celebrate this meal together, let us understand both its importance as individuals And it's important, says community. Just like the word, that we engage our hearts in the truth that comes from it. And we celebrate it together as a community. So, Lord, as we celebrate this meal and we close our time in worship this morning, move our hearts, direct us to the promise that comes to the gospel, that we have been saved and redeemed through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Come share in this meal as you're ready.
2: Come them wherever you languish, come to the mercy seat. Fervently kneel here, bring your wounded hearts here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sound. Sorrow that heaven cannot hear. Here, see the bread of life, see waters flowing forth from the throne of God, pure from above. Come to of love come ever knowing earth has no sorrow but heaven Joy of the desolate, light of the straying, hope of the penitent, faithless and pure. You speaks the comforter, tenderly saying, earth has no sign.
1: pray together. Lord, what an incredible joy it is to gather in this place on this chilly morning to celebrate, Lord, what you have done for us that we could not do for ourselves. As in the person of Jesus Christ, Lord, you conquered death, you rose from the grave, and you have given us life. There is nothing that you cannot do. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate this meal and as we hear these words of truth, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts, you would give us a desire to know you, to engage in your word, to fall in love with a God who redeemed and rescued us. Lord, you are the life-giving Savior. You have given us everything that we need. You are the sustainer of our souls. And so, Lord, this morning we return our praise and thanks to you as we close our time in worship, celebrating with all that we are for what you have done for us through the death and life and resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Be glorified in this place, Lord. Hear our cry. Amen. Let's close our time in worship this morning.
2: Thank you for the cross that you have Sacrifice your life So I could leave Now nothing is over you're the king upon the throne thank you for the way you always love me now I get to love you in return
0: Amen. So I don't know what you got planned for tomorrow, but I hope reading Psalm 1 and diving into our dwell reading plan is part of it. Your soul needs the light and the water and the fertilizer of the Word of God. And so give your soul what your soul needs so that honestly the Lord can grow you into the people that He wants us to be. And go in peace.